welcome to the podcast of the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. We are training coaches and coaching leaders because we know that only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Because we care and we want you to reach your full potential, we coach you to choose life-giving reactions to the warning lights that show up on the dashboard of your life. Welcome everyone to Season 3 of our podcast. Formerly the Spiritual Coaching Podcast, we are now the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. So a little story, we first launched this project to train spiritual coaches at our growing multi-site church. Of course, we hoped others would find us and listen. We never expected that within months we would have dozens of people in dozens of cities and countries listening. Wherever you were listening around the globe, Nancy and I are honored to have you aboard. So that unexpected scope of interest, it caused us to realize that we needed to get more organized and focused if we wanted to help more church leaders and spiritual coaches. We want to do our best to fall in line with whatever it is God seems to be using. So moving forward, you can expect the same quality content, but with a different look and stronger clarity of purpose. And speaking of clarified purpose, we are coaching church leaders and spiritual coaches who have untapped potential by showing them how God will exchange the wounding of the past for the wellness of the future. It's a transformation that frees them to be wholeheartedly available to him and those near them. They go first and call others to follow their lead. How are we going to do this? By offering three progressively deeper levels of coaching, starting with practical content, moving into peer conversation, and then personal coaching. Why are we doing this? So you can gain the humble confidence and godly credibility needed to step unrestricted into a life and impact that God has for you. Our dream is to help you tap into your potential. Now, we chose the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard because... Just like the dashboard in your car, there are warning lights in our lives that indicate to us that we need to do some heart work with God in in order to step into our full potential. It's hard to analyze your own swing, so we need someone more qualified and experienced to do spiritual wrenching on our souls in order to improve our performance. Uh, Our dream is that you uh, would unlock your potential through a healthy heart that knows God deeply and follows Him fully. All right, enough of that. Let's set the stage for today's episode. In season one, we considered the philosophy behind spiritual coaching, and in season two, we addressed subjects relevant to the spiritual coaches themselves. Now in season three, we finally begin to describe how to do spiritual coaching itself. Be sure to go back and listen to the foundational content in those two opening seasons, because what I'm going to say is based on what has already been said. Without further delay, here is today's content. Hello, everyone. We're looking at a biblically-based spiritual yardstick for measuring spiritual growth. Today, we're covering the second of three parts of that yardstick, each of which has three components themselves. A new loyalty was first, today a new leaning, and next time a new leverage. So, by ourselves, left to ourselves unchanged, we lean inward towards ourselves. It's the natural thing to do. Evolutionists would probably explain it away by saying it has something to do with the built-in instinct for self-preservation. Only the finest and the strongest survive because they can defend themselves better than others. Creationists who believe in the God of the Bible call it the sin nature. Uh, How's that for Christianese? Uh, Sin nature. The human heart separated from God will be self-willed, self-centered, self-protecting, self-promoting, and self-pleasing. That's actually a fairly good description of the sin nature. Not a happy way to be, begin a discussion, but 
allow me to uh, make it a little bit more depressing. <laughs> In addition to the human heart's selfish ten tendencies, the American culture is designed around a cult of self. We're all about what we deserve, what we have a right to, and are entitled to. Listen to the commercials and you'll hear the same refrain. The best or nothing. You deserve what you want. Live, your, uh, live for, for, for yourself. Feed your passions and appetites. If you do, you know, uh, the implication is if you do, you'll be free, happy, fulfilled. Uh, the strangest things might, might, make, might fulfill you according to the commercials. You know, even when someone has such a low self-image that they think poorly of themselves, they're still constantly thinking about themselves. They're constantly concerned with protecting themselves from further pain or, or, or lifting themselves up by tearing others down or are so self-focused that they harm themselves. The true Christ follower is not so oriented. Good evidence and an inevitable character of one of who's following Jesus Christ is a, is a growing selflessness. A self-giving that is even willing to impose various kinds of loss on themselves in order to serve others. The one man who was the most devoted to leaning away from himself in obedience to God first and others second was Jesus. He is the epitome of someone who is instinctively and religiously others' word. Yep, uh, I do believe I made that turn up, others' word or other word. Instead of being selfish, uh, um, self-word and, and thought in deed, uh, followers of Jesus must lean toward others or be others' word. We, we love our enemies and those who despitefully use us. We are strong enough to forgive everyone for everything, not as doormats necessarily, but as those who are courageous enough to put God in his kingdom first, not ourselves, and leave everything else up for God to take care of. This character trait is both universally distinctive of true Christ followers and is our single most definitive and telling trait. If you don't love other people, you don't love God. Here's a short explanation from Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward, what reward is, that? is there for that? <laughs> Even uh, corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are any, if you are kind only to your friends, who are you? How are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Hey, hey there's another passage in Romans 12, written by one of Jesus' followers. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take vengeance. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Whew. There's a couple of tall orders in those passages of scripture. The example God gives is found 
in the sunlight that warms and, and directs, and in the rain that cleanses and refreshes. He gives these to everyone, not just those who treat him well. We're to follow that example and be kind and gracious to even those who, by their words and actions, position themselves as our enemies. By doing so, we're letting our attackers bring out the best instead of the worst in us. This other's word orientation is what spiritual coaches must live and call others to practice as well. There's much said in the Bible about this. Uh, Like with the first third of our spiritual yardstick, there are three aspects to leaning away from ourselves and towards others. A new leaning looks like this. First of all, an elevating cohort. Yes, first there will be an elevating cohort. Uh, That word cohort refers to a band of people who share a common interest, purpose, direction, and director. It actually comes from an ancient Greek military term used to designate a group of soldiers who are under the same command and are following the same orders. The person who expects to stand firm for Christ over the long haul will recognize the necessity of having their own cohort in life and spiritual warfare. They will lean away from isolation and toward uh, like-minded folks on the same adventure who are following and have, the same sw- and have sworn their allegiance to the same Lord. God created us for relationship with Him, and that relational design feature means we are made for relationship with others also. We were not made to live alone or anonymously. We must learn to to know and be known by God. God, uh, going alone is not good for us. From Adam forward, other Christ followers can provide support, encouragement, accountability, camaraderie if we're intentionally well, if we are internally well enough to embrace that transparency. This is the call to Christian community, to know and be known, to celebrate and be celebrated, to serve and be served, to comfort and be comforted, to challenge and be challenged, and to protect and be protected. With a commitment to that high level of camaraderie, with a company of people who share our kingdom journey and priorities, God will elevate us to heights of courage and perseverance and accomplishment and obedience and sacrifice and victory that we'd never reach without them. In Philippians 2, 3 through 4, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So, as Christians, we embrace a new leaning toward an elevating cohort, but also towards those in other segments of our acquaintance. Let's take a short break to give your brain a chance to rest. Did you know that this podcast is not the only resource that we have available to help you with your own relationship with God and your spiritual coaching efforts? First, I invite you to visit Spiritual Coaching Dashboard on Patreon.com. Patreon is a solution for creators who struggle to turn their craft into real dollars so they can afford to keep creating. In their words, Patreon powers membership-based businesses for creators. You can visit patreon.com and search for the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. You'll discover additional content that can be accessed through any of five different levels of membership, if you choose to subscribe. Second, tworivers.church backslash life hyphen coaching has dozens of tools and book links to help you in your life with God and your ministry to others. It's a work in progress, but you can find it chock full of practical content to read, watch, and listen to. 
Thank you for your patronage here on the podcast and for considering enabling us to continue to create and meet the ministry needs of our expanding audience. Wherever you choose to interact with us online, please remember to rate, like, follow, and share so that other leaders and coaches can find this helpful content. If you would like to connect with us, you can either email us at carrie at tworivers.church or text us on Twitter or Facebook Messenger at SC Dashboard. All right, let's finish today's episode of the podcast. So we have this third aspect of a, a new leaning that we are talking about here. The, uh, the first was an elevating cohort. The second is a strong selflessness, a strong selflessness. Um, like I read from the Matthew passage a little bit ago, a strong selflessness will not take the normal posture of hatred and revenge towards our enemies, nor will we let our competitiveness or self-promotion give way to cutthroat practices and one-upmanship that wounds others and leaves bleeding bodies in our wake. But the ultimate thing we will find in the life of a maturing follower who has taken on the life of Jesus as a new leaning towards selfless service will lean away from self-centered self-importance toward humility to others. Uh, enough with being consumed with the smallness that is us at the center of our own universe. We must instead live in other-centric, self-giving life of gift-driven service, powered by God, not the self-life. There is strength in being able to serve others, to focus on others, to have real mercy and compassion towards others. Being humble means there's no lack, no task too menial for us. But when the confidence of God's life and power working through the gifts and life calling he has given us flow through us, when that happens, nothing's impossible. Our characteristics of this is teachability. Humility is not a a know-it-all attitude, but a a knowing there's always more to learn attitude. This strong selflessness is found in a teachable, lifelong, disciplined, intentional learner, one who is able to take instructions, directions, and follow another's lead. A leaning towards strong selflessness cares more about what needs to get done than who calls the shots or who has to do it. In fact, a strong leader can defer to others, let them lead, and wait to be called on rather than pushing and promoting themselves. Selfless strength can work in a team as well. It knows their place, does their part, and doesn't clamor for recognition, even if they've earned it. Uh, Generosity is part of this, too. We're we're to be lifelong learners, but also lifelong givers. When we are leaning towards others, we'll investigate the gifts to, to see how God has wired us and what pumps us up so we can find the place where we should be using those gifts. Strong selflessness can serve outside their gifting and comfort zone and is willing to do that for a time, but also knows that eventually they'll need to make some movement and adjustment that'll put them in the best place to be used by God because that's how they can best serve others. But our leaning is always going to be toward kingdom profit and advancement and not personal gain. The desire to serve in that, the niche that, that fits us is because that'll best bring attention to God and help others. Luke 18, 14 says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Ephesians 4, 1 through 2, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. This new leaning is toward an elevating cohort and a strong selflessness and humility and service. There's this one final point of this new direction that a life lived with God with and for God will take, and that is a declarative life. It's pretty easy to blend in with a culture and look just like all the others and have no intention of following Jesus. It's hard to stand out. 
Uh, not as hard as it used to be when the culture was more Christian, uh, uh, at least a lukewarm Christian anyway. But the consequences of standing out are becoming more and more dramatic in not a good way. The, the difficulty lies not in finding a way to speak up for God and God, just but paying the price for doing so. The most godly principles are now countercultural. In fact, a Christian world grew, worldview is viewed as you know, progressively becoming seen as hateful and not just weird, different or contrary. It's actually hateful to be a Christian. Uh, godly and biblical vocabulary about gender, sex, and marriage is now hate speech. Declaring the truth and, and even our love and loyalty to God is increasingly costly. A declarative life. We live, it's a lived declaration. A declarative life is one that leans away from both mediocrity and condescending stances and towards a life that clearly states who we are and whose we are. It leans away from silence or a forgettable life statement that leans towards a life that and leans towards a life that speaks volumes. Some will hate those volumes, but others will want to read them. Uh, not a culturally safe or politically correct morality, but a biblical one based on truth, honesty, integrity. This new life will, will speak by the simple virtue of its attractive power and presence. Life lived this way makes us the message. Not a fearful or invisible speaking, but a confident, obvious, and and, and, and positively different one. A life that bleeds truth and oozes applied theology. Once our new loyalty has been determined, we take up a new leaning, one that puts us on mission with God. Ours is not to blend in and be unnoticed, nor is it to stand out obnoxiously and irritatingly. It's simply to live by biblical standards, regardless of what the culture has to say. Come what may. If there's a way to do so without unnecessarily looking weird or fanatical, okay. But there's no way to prevent looking weird, square, and out of date. So be it. So there's this live declaration, okay? If we're, if, um, if we're leaning towards others, okay? if, if we're living this new leaning, there's an elevating cohort, a strong selflessness that lives a declarative life, or is that, that, is that teachable and generous? And then there's the declarative life that's, that, that, it's a lived declaration, but it's also a spoken declaration. That's the other aspect of a declarative life. Up until now, I've been talking more about a, a, a declaration through actions, and though not exclusively. We don't usually need words to live like Jesus, but it's required, it'll require words to explain it to the confused, frustrated, and angry onlookers, or our children, or our friends. To anyone who's affected by our life choices um, that are influenced by God in the Word of God, especially if we come in, into a relationship with God later in life, and it's dramatic, it dramatically changes our priorities and choices. Others around us are going to be shocked. It takes words to tell us about Jesus, to declare the particulars of the gospel. Our culture is biblically illiterate and confused about what a Christian really is and what life looks like when we claim to be one. There are many unbiblical ideas about who Jesus was and, and about sin and, and heaven and hell and a myriad of other things that make up the Christian belief system. Declarative life needs to be ready to explain the essentials about Jesus and salvation and know where to point people for reliable information about the things that we don't know how to explain well. Here's some great advice from Peter in 1 Peter 3, 13 and following. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry about or, or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. 
that if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. All right, so this is the second part of our spiritual yardstick to be used in helping people see how well they measure up to a biblical standard of holiness. Are they leaning away from self and towards an elevating cohort of strong selflessness and service and a declarative life? We'll finish up our spiritual yardstick by describing the three aspects of a, of a life lived for God, a new leverage. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, don't waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how to work the truth into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been yourself. We pray that God uses the spiritual coaching dashboard to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. If you are in the upstate New York area, specifically Binghamton, or are visiting or just passing through, look Pastor Carrie and myself up. We'd love to have a cup of coffee with you and chat about our dynamic relationship with God or about how to do spiritual coaching in your context. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the podcast of The Spiritual Coaching Dashboard.